yesterday. It was a real gift to the bride and groom. Uh, Pastor Mike is away, so you're going to have to suffer through me this morning. My name is Ross. For those of you that are visiting here today, and I attend New City Church. Um, Mike and his family, Pastor Mike and his family are on holidays, so you could say a prayer for them that they would uh, really enjoy themselves and have a great rest. Also, those of you that would remember our former pastor, it's not too long ago, uh, Pastor Heath and his wife, uh, they've just accepted a call to pastor a church in Slave Lake, Alberta. So, yeah, yeah. They'll be moving up there for August 1. It's a Slave Lake Alliance church, so he's going back to his roots. And uh, they're really excited. Uh, it was a long year for them, uh, waiting for God to open a door. So they'll be gone here pretty quick. Several years ago, a friend of mine came to my then-girlfriend, Susan, and said, Oh, I've lost my engagement ring. We were at a campsite. And it was getting dark out, it was sort of dusk, and she was very distraught and asked us as a group of young people if we would pray that she could find this engagement ring. She had been searching for quite a while and couldn't find the ring. So, of course, we said, absolutely, let's, you know, we'll pray for this. And we told her we would, and we did, but we went one step further. We started to go out and began to work with her in finding that particular ring. At that point, I had a real sense of faith that I was going to find that ring. Now, I can't explain to you what that was about, except that it was a God thing. But I just had a real assurance in my heart that I didn't have to panic. And she didn't have to panic because God was going to let me find that ring. So I prayed by faith, saying, God, let me find that ring. So we searched for about 10 minutes, and guess what? I found the ring. And I gave it to her, and I thought she would be bubbling with joy and excitement that I found her ring. She was really upset. How would God choose to answer your prayer and not my prayer? And so we talked back and forth and had probably a very good theological discussion about that. And in the end, we both said, haven't got a clue. (laughs) Haven't got a clue why God did that, except to teach us that it doesn't matter. The idea was we prayed and had faith to believe that we would find that particular ring. So we still joke about that. So here's a phrase I want you to latch on today. I had to... I had to put shoes on my faith. I had to have faith, but then step out and do something about it to prove that faith. That's what we're going to unfold today. We're going to talk about faith in the context of works from the book of James. Uh, Years ago, it's getting to be more and more every year, but I worked uh, for victim services. I had the pleasure of starting the victim services program in the Lloydminster area. And uh, we covered Lloydminster, Onion Lake, Turtleford, Maidstone, RCMP detachment areas. So it was a fairly big field. And one day as I was traveling up to the detachment in Turtleford, I heard on my police radio that a small boy and a dog had gone missing. So right away my ears perked up. I was just coming into the town, and so I became very aware of my surroundings. The police were searching uh, in, in some woods up north of where he was last seen playing, up by Turtleford. And as I came into town, I had that same feeling come over me again that I had way back when with that engagement ring. I had a real assurance in my heart that I was going to find this little boy and his dog. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, help me find this little boy and his dog. And immediately a thought came to my mind, turn left. 
Again, I can't explain that. I just write it off as a God thing. So guess what I did? I turned left. And as I turned left, right there in a little school area was a little boy and a dog. And I thought, this has to be the one. So I went there as fast as I could without breaking any rules and uh, found the little boy. He was terrified. When I got out of the car, of course, he was seeing me as a stranger coming at him. So I had to be very cautious that I was gentle with him. And I tried talking to him to give him a sense that everything was okay. But he was going to run, so I had to actually hang on to him. And as I was doing that, I was looking around to make sure there were no people watching because this didn't look too good, you know. Uh, But I radioed on my radio saying, hey, I found the little boy come and get him sort of thing and I'm, I i don't know this for sure but I think there was a little bit of a hmm how victim services I found this and we didn't as trained RCMP officers the point is don't focus on the fact that I found him about in, are we going to we're going to have some problems with this aren't we uh, pastor where's that other mic I'll have it ready just in case uh, well he's getting me that just as a backup here uh, I'll continue on here so I needed what I'm telling you is I needed to put shoes on my faith and that's exactly what we're going to look at today this whole idea between faith and works faith and works now the book of James down through the centuries has been a controversial book because I have James should not be in the canon of scripture. And in fact, this paradox led the reformer Martin Luther to say that the book was just an epistle of an epistle of We thought we had everything worked out here, but obviously these things happen. I like to wander, so now I'm restricted. <laughs> I have to stay here now, but that's okay. So the paradox is Paul, in his teachings, says that we are saved by faith, and faith alone. James comes along, and in his book he starts teaching about your faith and your works combined equal the faith that's being talked about in the scripture. And that's why uh, Luther called it an epistle of straw, because it seemed to contradict what Paul was saying. So, for example, here's what Paul says. He says, by grace you are saved through faith, not a gift, or or not, not by works, but as a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn your faith, Paul says. Salvation is not a reward for good things you have done and so you can't boast about the good things you have done and then he says if he's a writer of Hebrews he says without faith it's impossible to please God in Ephesians he says the Christian is saved by faith 2nd Corinthians 5 7 the Christian is to walk and live by faith Romans 14 23 whatever we do from the apart from faith is described as sin but James comes along and he says in James 2 22 you see faith and actions work together Your actions make your faith complete. 
And so what Paul is really saying here is he's not duking it out with James, trying to win the side that it's by faith alone, and James is saying, no, it's with works. They're actually standing back to back, and they're fighting together to show you that faith has to have works combined with it in order to be true faith. And sometimes we get that mixed up because I know when I've been talking with people uh, from the unchurched world and they're saying, you know, okay, if you were to die today, stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? They would say, well, I've lived a good life. I've done good things. I've cared for people. I've sponsored children. I've gone on work trips around the world, da-da-da-da-da. And then Paul comes along and says, all those works are nothing. It's by faith. And there's this tension that exists. So from this scripture today, we're going to look at three kinds of faith. A dead faith, a demonic faith, and a dynamic faith. Let's go together, and if you have your Bibles on your phone or in your hand, uh, the copy of it, let's go to James chapter 2, and we'll put it on the screen if we can. And I'm going to read through 14 to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this. Now, there's a little bit of sarcasm in his voice there, I think. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good works or good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So here's this tension that we're seeing here today, at least I'm seeing it anyway as I've looked at the text and I'm seeing this tension between faith and works and what is really true here. And so in verse 26 he says, just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good deeds or good works. So there is a kind of faith that people can have that we could call intellectual faith. It's a faith where you may believe in the historicity of Jesus Christ. You may believe in God as a being that is there. Um, you can have all these things and yet still not have a true biblical faith. It's an intellectual faith. It's a, it's a faith that I think is a beginning of a journey towards the last point we're going to talk about, and that's dynamic faith. But it's not the faith that the scripture is teaching about that we need to have. Um, so it's like the reader 
readers who were listening to James were asking a question. And the question was this. The faith you've just described without the works, will that save us? And James is responding with a loud no. And three times in the passage, he tells them this. In in verse 17, he says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. It is dead and useless. So any declaration of faith, apart from good works, is a dead kind of faith, he's saying. So how do we know if we have this kind of faith? Well, if our walk does not measure up to our talk. If our works don't measure up to our words. Then we need to be aware that we are at spiritual risk because of our intellectual belief versus our heartfelt belief. Warren Wearsby said this, No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than one can come in contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. I I think your hair would curl, first of all, wouldn't it? You would be changed. I I accidentally stuck my finger in a plug one time as a kid, and I was changed forever after that. I'll never go back and do that again, right? It uh, gave me a little bit of a shock. So verses 15 to 17, he's talking then, he says, If you see someone who's in need and you walk away... This is dead faith. If you see someone who has a need and you walk away and give them all the nice little cliche Christian sayings and don't help meet their need, this is a dead faith. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that you don't have salvation faith. I'm just saying it's a dead faith. It doesn't have an impact per se, especially for the person who's in need at that point in time. So a dead faith knows about God. A dead faith perhaps even knows God, but is not congruent in their lifestyle as to what that really means. And so it's not good enough just to believe that there is a God. It's not just enough to believe. Because James goes on in the second part of his argument as we talk about about demonic faith in verse 18 and 19 and he says now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds but I say to you how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds I will show you my faith by my good deeds you say you have faith and that you believe there is one God good for you even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror now I gave my life to Christ at the age of 19 through a Gideon's Bible. And I had been living a crazy lifestyle, and God gripped my heart, and I was reading through that little grade 5 Bible. He showed me that I needed to surrender, and I needed to come to him in faith. And when I did that, my world radically changed. I was living with a roommate of mine. He was my karate instructor, and he was also a, a speech pathologist, and so he was very much into the sciences. And, and he said to me, he said, how can you believe in something so foolish? And then he made this very crazy statement to me, to this day still boggles my mind. He says, don't you think there's more proof of a devil than there is of a God? I I thought to myself, okay, you really don't know a lot of things about this, do you? (laughs) But we look at the world around us. There are fingerprints of evil all over the place, correct? So I don't know where you are at today in your understanding of these spiritual things, but the Bible does teach that there are demonic spirits, and those demonic spirits aren't dumb. They believe, they know there is a God. In fact, there are many scriptures that help us understand this. They they believe in God, so first of all, they're not atheists. They're not agnostics. 
they believe there is a God. Uh, they even believe in the deity of Christ. They even believe that Christ is God. For example, Mark 3:11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God! And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. They believe in the existence of their own condemnation. Luke 8:31. They were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. Another scripture from Matthew 8:28. And when he came to the other side of the country of the Gardeans, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs, and they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by them. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each of you, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? See, they had a belief. They knew. They knew there was a God. And James is making an example of this. It's a demonic faith that has no salvation for us behind it. So is it hard to believe in demons versus God? I think if you believe in God, you believe in demons. And if you believe in demons, you've got to believe in God. And so this is a dead faith that we saw before, which is this intellectual faith. But here's something interesting about this demonic faith. It goes beyond just the mental intellectual. It, it actually talks about emotions here. Because it says here that they tremble in terror. And so this kind of faith has intellect and emotion attached to it. And I want to tell you something. The devil is a better theologian than you and I will ever be. He knows this stuff inside and out. And uh, he's the tempter and the accuser of the faith. And so we ask this question not to go off on a tangent about darkness and evil. But we ask the question, will this kind of faith save? This mix of, of, of intellect and emotion, will that save us? Well, uh, James is kind of saying, no, it won't. A person has to receive the life and then he will re or she will reveal the life. So it's really a walking out of our faith so that that others can see that we truly are believers and we truly have been changed from the inside out. So do we have this kind of faith, this intellectual faith? Maybe some of you do. And you know, it's okay, you're on a journey and you're, you're trying to understand the concept of spirituality, the concept of God. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The more questions you ask, the more you search, the more you're honest with yourself, and the more detail you get in terms of understanding these things, the better it is for you. So don't be scared about that. And don't feel panicked that you have to rush into it. Although, you know, the scriptures do teach that today could be the day that you are called uh, beyond this life. And so you want to be prepared for that, of course. Um, if you have this intellectual belief and you have emotions attached to it, it's still not good enough. So here's what we need. And this is what I really want to stress today. We need a dynamic faith. Matthew 5, 16 says, And let your light so shine that they see your good works. Let me read something for you here from John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he also will do. In fact, greater works will he do, because I go to the Father. I was brought up saying, don't judge people. And as I began to understand the scriptures, I realized that there's two kinds of judgments. If I judge or try and judge the motivation of your heart, that's a no-no. I can't do that. 
There's only one person who can judge the motivation of our hearts. Who's that? That's God, the creator. But the scriptures teach that I can judge you based on your fruit, based on your works. And it's not the kind of judgment where I condemn you. It's the kind of judgment that helps you find out where you're at in your spiritual journey. Here's another verse. John 15, 8. It says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So fruit or works have a very important part to play from the intellectual and the emotional to the actual walking out of our faith. John 6.28 says, What should we do so we can work the works of God? Ephesians 2.10 says, We are created for good works. James 2.22, again, Faith without works is dead. Matthew 7.20, You will know them by their fruits. And so this kind of faith then is the kind of faith that comes from hearing and hearing the word of God according to Romans. And it's a dynamic faith that affects the whole human being. When I came to Christ, I had a radical change in my life. It affected me in my mind, in my will, and in my emotions. And um, I don't need to go into a lot of detail today, but I left home when I was 15, and I experimented with life to the highest ability that I could experiment with life. And my life was an addictive life, and when I came to Christ, I was set free from that. And so it became a dynamic faith in my life. It turned me around. It changed me. In fact, I was telling someone last night, this is my 42nd year of sobriety. Yeah, you can clap. To me, that is a miracle. That God would give me that kind of faith to take me out of those things that had me in bondage. So dynamic faith is where the mind and the heart and the will connect together to produce something that will change the world around us. Now, what would happen if we got excited about this as a body of Christ in Lloydminster, in, in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, in Canada, and around the world? How, what would happen to the p- things around us? I remember when I was just about 12, I was working for a pig farmer, and I learned uh, not to like pigs. I got bit on the heels more often than I can count by those pigs. But I worked for this pig farmer. He had over 200 pigs. And uh, one day something happened in the electrical department of the barn and it burnt down. And all 200 and some pigs died due to smoke inhalation. This was a very sad time for this farmer. And he was in a kind of a depression as a result of it. He didn't have any insurance. And he was in a real bad state of mind. A religious group of people came by one day and they wanted to share with him their faith. And he said to them, if you were truly Christian, you would come and rebuild my barn. He was being facetious. Guess what happened? They blew his mind. Several trucks with lumber with tools, with people, showed up on his farm and they began to rebuild his barn. Now that is faith with works. And we look around and we see some of the pseudo-Christian people in our world that really know how to do the good works. The sad part is 
they don't have the faith part of it. Excuse me. But it illustrates to us that we have to combine the two. And then, you know, it's, it's interesting that um, he uses two examples here of Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, of course, we, we don't understand this and we criticize him. How could you take your son and place him on an altar because God told you to sacrifice him? How could you do that? We don't understand that. And I don't understand that. But the point is, it didn't happen. God intervened. Excuse me. And he intervened because of Abraham's faith. Abraham was so sold out that he trusted God. And I think if you examine the context of the scriptures, you'll see that Abraham had faith that God would not follow through with it. Excuse me. I got a bug in my throat. So because of Abraham's faith, combined with his works, what does God call him? A friend. Man, I'll tell you, I can't think of anything nicer if God would say to me, Ross, you're my friend. I think that would be super. The creator of the universe saying to me, you're my friend. And then, of course, Rahab the harlot. I mean, we, we see prostitution in our communities, and, and we know what's wrong with prostitution according to the scriptures. But here was this prostitute, this harlot, who by faith opened the door for these godly men to be saved, and she let them out on a window when the enemies were coming to kill them. And God honored her faith. She knew who they were. She knew they were Israelites. And so he uses this illustration to show us these things that are there. And then one more scripture I want to take you back to here in John, chapter 14, verse 26. It says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance to you what I have said. I was thinking about this the other day in a real kind of a detailed way. And I was saying to myself, do I have the kind of walk with Christ where daily I'm hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit Versus the voice of my human self or the voice of my human world around me. It really hit me. It really hit me. It, it, you know, if he is the teacher and if I believe the Bible, then I believe that he's going to teach me and instruct me every day of my life in the deeper things of God. Am I hearing his voice? Am I so caught up in the works in the world that I'm not hearing his voice? See, there has to be this balance there, and I'm kind of taking you back and forth and back and forth. I was at a, a general uh, AGM uh, meeting of my uh, association, counseling association. For those of you that don't know me, I have a private practice here in town. And when we were there, it's a Christian organization, one of our speakers was asked to pray for us. So he had a little bit of a Pentecostal background, and so he really got into it, and he really, he really prayed. Uh, you could feel his prayers. They were, they were pretty dynamic prayers. But what he did was he just came right down off the platform, and he walked around. And he just walked around the aisles, almost to the point he made you feel a little uncomfortable, but it's okay, because he was praying for us. And he stopped dead in his tracks right in front of me, and I thought in my spirit, uh-oh. <laughs> He's a little bit of a Pentecostal. Uh, ooh, what's going to happen here? Maybe, he got, maybe he's got a word from the Lord and I'm going to be exposed for something I did or whatever, you know. But he looked straight at me, didn't say anything for a couple seconds. And then he pointed his finger at me and he said, God wants to do more. And he said it two more times. 
God wants to do more in your life. God wants to do more in your life. I'm telling you, friends, when he told me that I had, I had just tingling all over my body, goosebump all over, I felt my arms tingling because I knew God was saying something to me through that man that God wanted to do something more in my life. And I really began to chew on that. And I really began to think, Lord, where am I dropping the ball? What more do you want from me? And God began to un unveil for me what he was asking of me in my life. So, dear friend, here's the question for you today. Where are you at in your journey? Are you just an intellectual believer? That's okay for now. Follow through with your intellect and, and do the research that you need to do. But then you need to connect the feelings with that in terms of understanding what, what God is trying to tell you at an emotional level. But that's still not good enough because emotions can trick you. Emotions can deceive you. You need to come to the place where you have a strong belief in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, we get accused of being bigots, bigots when we say Jesus is the only way. But if you believe the Bible, the Bible teaches Jesus is the only way. And so you passionately believe that, that's going to affect your life. So if you give your life to Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, it is just simple, Lord, here I am. Take my life. I surrender it to you. Use me. And then you step out and let him use you. And that's where your good works will start to show the faith that's in your heart. Good works mixed with faith, or let's reverse it. Faith mixed with good works equals true salvation. Now, I hope I've sparked your thinking. I hope some of you are moved by that to ask some deeper questions about that. Maybe even challenge me. But that's what it is. And as Forrest Gump said, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Let's pray.